0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف المرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين ما بعد <coughs> السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته My respected elders, brothers in Islam الله سبحانه وتعالى in the Quran He narrates to us something which describes to us the very nature of the Quran And he says, لَقَدْ كَانَ فِي قَصَصِهِمْ عِبْرَةٌ لِأُولِي الْأَلْبَابِ That in the stories that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is narrating to us in the Qur'an, there is a lesson for those people who have understanding. And this is a salient feature of the Qur'an, that not one page goes by, not one incident goes by, not one story goes by, but there's a lesson, there's something that we have to take heed from. And one of the unique surahs of the Qur'an, Surah Yusuf, which is unique because it tells the story of Yusuf a.s. from beginning to end without diverting into other discussions as is the normal methodology of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran. In this story of Surah Yusuf, we find the same pattern being repeated that every story there there is a great lesson for us. So if we hone in onto one part of the story, Yusuf a.s. enters prison. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَدَخَلَ مَعَهُ السِّجنَ that Yusuf A.S. entered the prison unjustly accused, of course, and with him entered two youngsters who had, who were still awaiting trial, who had yet to face the judge, who were anxious, who wanted to know what would be the outcome. And these two youngsters had seen a dream, and perhaps they believed that this dream would inform them of what was their outcome. So they asked Yusuf A.S. to interpret the dream for them. And Yusuf a.s. is in prison, these two youngsters come to him, they ask him that we've seen a dream, can you interpret this dream for us? So Yusuf a.s. says, قَالَ لَا يَأْتِيكُمَ طَعَامٌ تُرْزَقَانِهِ إِلَّا don't, Do not worry, before supper is served tonight in the prison, I'm going to inform you of the dream. You All your fears will be allayed, you'll be relaxed, you'll know the interpretation, you'll know what awaits you. And Yusuf salam, and this is the point I want to make in this incident, is if we put ourselves into his shoes, he had just been extracted and forcibly removed from his loving father by his brothers, he had been thrown into a well, he had been adopted, he had been falsely accused of zina, he had been thrown into prison unjustly. Despite all of this, having just entered the prison, having seen his life going through this turmoil, despite this, when these two youngsters asked Yusuf to interpret their dream, Yusuf a.s. seizes this as a moment to give them dawah and to call them towards Islam and Tawheed. And Yusuf a.s. beautifully what he does, he creates a small delay, he says, don't worry, by the time it's supper tonight, I'm going to inform you of your dream. Now they are dependent on him to an extent, they sit with him, they talk with him. Yusuf a.s. has created an opportunity for da'wah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is teaching us this in these verses of the Qur'an amongst other things. And Yusuf a.s. begins to give da'wah to them. He says, إِنِّي تَرَقْتُ مِلَّةَ قَوْمٍ وَهُمْ هُمْ كَافِرُونَ that I have left and I have completely shunned all of these doctrines that don't accept Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They don't believe in the justice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They reject the hereafter. I follow my forefathers who are anbiya from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then very beautifully he says, Ya sahibahis sijin, all my companions who are here with me in the prison. You know, we end this together. <laughs> You tell me, I'm not giving you a bayan. You, 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 you reply to me, you, you, explain to me. Which one makes more sense? That we worship all of these false deities who have limitations in power in certain different areas? Or we worship one Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, al-wahid al-qahar, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Yusuf Salaam, gives them a beautiful da'wah that he asks them this rhetorical question. And then he begins to tell them that, you know, what you're doing is not right you worshipping this idol and that idol. In reality, you're just creating these uh, beings and entities in your head. They have no real existence in the world. You have no authority from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do this. Amazing da'wah of Yusuf salam, <laughs> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing us this in the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is highlighting this incident for us in the Qur'an. If we look throughout the, the, the numerous stories of the Anbiya mentioned in the Qur'an. Nuh Inni da'awtu qawmi قَوْمِي wa وَنَهَارًا Day and night I'm calling my people to what? Calling them to tawheed. For centuries, Ibrahim alayhi salam, he discusses as a youngster, as a youngster he goes in front of his entire community and logically debates with them, showing them how there can only be one Allah subhanahu wa taala. He approaches his father, one-on-one they have a discussion, he destroys the idols. What was his goal in all of this? What was his desire in all of this? That these people can come to Islam, that these people can come to, to the true religion. If we look at the life of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and all of the Anbiya, we find a similar story mentioned about them, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I didn't send any Rasul except that he came to say, you have no deity besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This was the job, this was the occupation, this was what the Anbiya had been sent for. If we look at Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, one verse in the Quran can aptly sum up this entire discussion where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَعَلَّكَ أَلَّا يَكُونُ مُؤْمِنِينَ Oh, Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Allah subhanahu wa taala is addressing him. Allah subhanahu wa taala is telling Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam, perhaps you are going to destroy yourself out of dismay, out of distress, because your people are not accepting Islam. What is this one verse? tell you about the mindset of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, about the understanding of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, about the desire of Nabi sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, sallam, about the fikr of Nabi sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that his whole life was given so that his people could accept Islam. And the the, the, the the amount of dismay brought him that they weren't accepting Islam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling him also, لَعَلَّكَ بَخِعُ نَفْسَكَ. Maybe you're going to destroy yourself because you are taking it so hard. This was the life of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. If you look at his entire journey as a Nabi whilst he was in Makkah al-Mukarramah. It was involved, it was just giving dawah to people. Years, years, six years giving dawah to people. Only 40 people had accepted Islam. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa goes to Taif. He tries to get those people to accept Islam. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa goes to the Hajj fairs where people from around the Arabian Peninsula were coming. He invites tribe by tribe. He goes to them. He, he, he tries to bring them towards Islam. And you look at the difficulties he faced. His uncle Abu Lahab would be there telling people, this is a madman. Don't listen to him. This is a madman. Yet Nabi sallallahu visited these Hajj year after year after year for what purpose? Because the message and the, the purpose of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi was that the message of Islam can reach everyone, can reach the entire world. And if you have to just look at it as a summary, that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, is 23 years as a Nabi. He ensured that the entire Arabian Peninsula had come to Islam and he ensured as well that the Roman Empire, the Persian Empire, the people living in Egypt, the people living in Bahrain, most of the known world at a time when there was no social media, at a time where if you wanted to communicate a message you had to physically deliver the message, most of the known world had received the message of Islam at the very least in 23 years. That was the life of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam taught this to the Sahaba radiallahu anhum as well. We see one of the times Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam went to the Hajj Faiz. Eventually the Ansar of Medina accepted, a few of them accepted the request of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to host Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in Medina. And a year before Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam actually makes the hijrah to Medina Munawwara, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam sends Mus'ab bin Umayr. Rabbi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam sends Abdullah bin Ummi Maktoum that paved the way for us, we are going to make Hijrah to Medina Munawwara, you two go there and you ensure that this place is ready for us when we come. Musa bin Umair, Abdullah bin Ummi Maktoum come to Madinah Munawwara. They go door to door, they go person to person because at that time only a few people in Medina were yet Muslim. A very small minority of the population were Muslim. They begin inviting people towards Islam. And it's working, the dawah is working, people are accepting Islam slowly but surely. The (التصفيق) leaders (التصفيق) of (التصفيق) Medina (متحد) Munawar (التصفيق) Saad bin Mu'adh and Usayd bin Hudayd. They see the people inclining towards Islam. And these were people who were going to become great Sahaba in the future. But at this time they were still not yet Muslims. They observe Mus'ab bin Umair in Medina Munawara giving da'wah to the Muslims. They see giving da'wah to their people. They see the people accepting Islam. And Sa'ad bin Mu'adh, he is angered by this. And he tells his cousin Usaid bin Khudair, go to Mus'ab bin Umair and tell him that please leave our people alone. We're we, we ready to be hospitable to him. We're ready to host him here. But he can't be, you know, deviating our people. So he sends his cousin Usaid bin Hudayr, a very physically imposing man. He sends him to, uh, to <coughs> Musa bin Umayr to give him this message. Usaid bin Hudayr comes there. He tells Musa bin Umayr that please leave this town or stop your dawah, one of the two. Musa bin Umayr tells him, see you know what, if you want me to leave this town, I'll leave this town, no problem, I'll go back. But just give me, I'm just putting into my own words, five or ten minutes, just hear what I have to say. If, you, if you're happy with what I have to say, then, then so be it. And if you're not happy, I'll go. Look at the, look at the confidence he had in his ability to give the da'wah of Islam. The understanding that no person would hear the true message of Islam given from the Quran, given from the sayings of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. No, tr- no person would truly be able to hear this and still be able to reject it. And Usaid bin Hudayr hears the da'wah of Musa bin Umair and immediately his mind is changed. And when he comes back to his cousin Sa'ad bin Mu'ad, Sa'ad bin Mu'ad feels that something is wrong with Usaid bin Qudayr. He doesn't look like the same person who went to Musa bin Umair. Sa'ad bin Mu'ad himself goes and confronts him. The same thing happens to Sa'ad bin Mu'ad. Sa'ad bin Muadh accepts Islam and the entire Bani Abdul Ashir accept Islam on that day. By the time Nabi sallallahu alaihi now migrates to Madina Munawwara a year later, the majority of the people of Medina Munawwara were now Muslims. How did they become Muslims? The work of these two Sahaba who started it and the rest of the people that accepted Islam in their hands and understood that it's a duty, it's a responsibility, we have to pass on this message to Islam. Now when Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam comes to Medina Munawara, people are thronging around him, people are ready to accept him, people are welcoming him into their homes. These same people were not Muslim one year ago, but through the dawah, through the understanding of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum who went there, these people had now accepted Islam. If we look in the fifth year of hijrah, Nabi sallallahu alaihi wa sallam sends the great sahabi Rahman bin Auf. He ties a turban for him. He sends him off to Doma to Jandal to the people of Banu Kalb. He gives him advice and he tells him that call these people towards Islam. Abdurrahman bin Auf goes there to the Banu Kalb. He begins to dialogue with them. He begins to discuss with them. For three days he's presenting Islam to them. He's answering their questions. He's talking to them. He's explaining to them what Islam is. After three days almost the entire tribe accepts Islam. Abdurrahman bin Auf marries a woman, the leader, the, the daughter of the leader of that tribe and he comes. And this was how the Sahaba operated that yes, there were military expeditions, but before this they gave Dawah. They knew how to give Dawah. They were trained in giving Dawah. It's obvious from, and these are just two stories out of hundreds of stories of the Sahaba going out, giving Dawah to people, people accepting Islam. There's a reason why by the time Nabi had passed away, the entire Arabian Peninsula was Muslim. Yes, there were military expeditions, but there was also Dawah side by side with it. If we look in the ninth year of Hijrah, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the Christians from Najran come to visit Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He hosts them in Masjid al-Nabawi. He hosts them in Masjid al-Nabawi. He dialogues with them, he discusses with them, he debates with them. Using verses of the Quran, he explains to them why Christianity is false. And many of, not all of them accept Islam, but some of them do accept Islam. But look at the methodology, look at the understanding, look at how the Sahaba radiallahu anhu and Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam viewed their job and their responsibility as Muslims. It's to pass the message on. And if we look at the history of Islam from the time of Sahaba we find that this understanding continued. People understood that to be a Muslim part and parcel of being a Muslim is knowing that I have to pass on the message of Islam to anyone I meet who doesn't know about it. This is started from the Anbiya continuing to the Sahaba continuing to all the Muslims who came after that. We'll just take a few examples. Umar bin Abdul Aziz, he ruled the Umayyad dynasty from the year 99 to the year 101. In that time, the Umayyad dynasty was absolutely massive, but there were large chunks of the population that had not yet accepted Islam. Umar bin Abdul Aziz brings all expansion to a halt. He trains, he gets ulama trained to go out to the different areas in North Africa, the different areas in Iraq, to go out to these places and those people who were not yet Muslims living under Muslim rule, to convert them, to give them dawah, to teach them, to rehabilitate them. And these are now great Muslim nations today. How do they become those Muslim nations? Because of the dawah, because of the foresight, because of the understanding of Umar bin Abdul Aziz. Go forward a bit in time, perhaps the most iconic example of the power of Dawah in Islamic history took place in one of the most devastating events in world history, and that was the Mongol invasion that took place in the 13th century of the Gregorian calendar, the 7th century of the Islamic calendar, when Genghis Khan started advancing the Mongols throughout the world, destroying empire after empire after empire. And before they had arisen, the Muslims were the dominant force in the world. The Muslims had many large empires at that time. But the Mongols crushed Muslim empire, starting from Mawara'un-Nahar, Bukhara, Samarkand. And eventually they got to the capital of Islam at that time of the Muslim world, which was Baghdad. And the grandson of Genghis Khan at that time committed multiple atrocities. He ransacked the entire Baghdad. For three days and three nights it was permissible so to speak to kill Muslims without any consequence arising from it. And Ibn Al-Athir rahimahullah, was a great historian who was contemporaneous to these events he mentions that were it not for historical integrity I would never have even penned down the events that occurred during this time. People describe literally the streets flowing with blood and the Mongol invasion continued, took out the entire Asia and eventually the Mamluk dynasty, a Muslim dynasty stopped them in Egypt, in Palestine. And historians who write about this time in history, they say that at that time people felt that this was the end for Islam in Asia. That there was no dynasty that still remained of any Muslim empire in Asia. The Mongols had taken over. The Mongols were favoring the Christians. They were favoring the Buddhists there. And they were really discriminating against the Muslims. But history tells the story that these same Mongols who eventually split into four different nations, four different empires, four different hordes, within a hundred years, more or less a hundred years, three or four, three out of these four hordes became Muslim empires. How did they become Muslim empires? Not because any Muslim nation came to conquer them, not because any scholar wrote a book to refute them. Three out of these four empires became Muslim and Islam was re-established as the dominant force in Asia because of your average everyday Muslim who understood that he had to give dawah. Your average everyday Muslim who knew that he had to pass on the message to Islam. Your average everyday Muslim who went around seeing these new Mongols giving them dawah to Islam, calling them towards Islam calling even the leaders towards Islam. Just one example, the grandson of Genghis Khan, Baraka Khan, Burke Khan. He's traveling, on, he's traveling, he's a non-Muslim at this time. He sees some Muslim travelers, traders. Again, not ulama, not scholars, not leaders, not professors or anything, just your random Muslim on the street. And he, he sees that these are Muslims, because Muslims generally have a salient feature, but it's a topic, something that identifies these people as Muslims. He's bored, he doesn't know what to do, he starts poking fingers, so to speak, asking them what you believe, why you believe this, why you do this, why you have these sort of customs. And these people explain Islam to him in such a way that there and then he accepts Islam, and his entire horde accepts Islam. And like this, eventually throughout the decades, the similar incidents occurred until basically, if we have to quantify it, 75% of those people people were now Muslim. And amazingly, it, at that time, Abu Abul hasan Ali Nadwi writes that it wasn't the Mujahideen that were the saviors of Islam, they were on many other occasions, it wasn't the scholars, it wasn't the fuqaha, it was the duaat amongst the Muslims, the average everyday Muslims who salvaged, who saved Islam in Asia at that time with the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And now if we just have to <coughs> contemplate and understand that this was the legacy that islam left behind whether it was from the anbiya the sahaba or the muslims up until now All of them understood this as their duty and responsibility throughout time These were just two examples out of many 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 examples But something has definitely changed in the last hundred or so years where that that switch that was Switched on before where everyone understood that if I saw a non-muslim I need to find him a way to get him closer to islam. He's just been switched off to an extent That we need to introspect, that we're living here for uh, over 100 years in some places or in some parts of South Africa, over 300 years. What effect have we had on the population of South Africa? Look at places like Nigeria, Malaysia. No Muslim army ever set foot there. Yet 53% Muslim population 60 to 70% Muslim population How do they do this? They did this Because people who are Muslims who were living In the land understood their duty They acted with akhlaq, they made sure they, They made it known that they were Muslims And they called people to Islam and if we read the history of these two Countries, we'll see how it happened And just how it happened there, it can happen here In South Africa as well, but the important Thing that needs to happen before anything Takes place, is that switch that's put Off at the moment, that switch that tells us That you know we need to make sure we give the message. We just need to switch it on. We just need to make sure it's switched on in our heads and it's switched on in the heads of every single person we meet around us. Just some practical things that we as Muslims we can do. Is Number one, we need to understand again, you don't need to be an alim, you don't need to be a professor, you don't need to have all the answers. Every single one of us here at some point or the other, every week we're going to interact with people who don't know about Islam. And don't take it for granted that their boss is a Muslim, they're working with Muslim colleagues, they know what Islam is, they don't know what Islam is. They just see people dressing like this, and they maybe have heard of something on the news, they don't truly know what Islam is. So don't take it for granted that a person you meet who has a Muslim colleague knows what Islam is, he doesn't know. You have to explain to him what Islam is. So understand, try and, you know, practice a way in which you can approach a person. Small, short dawah, calling to Tawheed, explain to him what's Islam, and experience will be your best teacher in this. You can try certain methodologies, certain will work, certain won't work. Number two, get literature. There's enough literature available in English, in Zulu, in all of the languages that we need, that even if we can't speak to the person, we can give him something. And many times we've seen, Gave someone, it's just a small pamphlet. He wasn't interested, but he took it home, he left it there. His brother came, his brother started reading, his brother became Islam, his brother accepted Islam. Multiple incidents like this. You maybe are not, we are not able to see the, 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 the repercussions of what happens or the consequences. We give one thing, we make, we just make the small effort. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if we have sincerity, we have ikhlas, we make that small effort. To us, it seems like nothing happened. The person told us, go away, I don't want to listen to you. It'll have an effect. If we all do it, if all of the Muslims take us upon themselves, it will have an effect. Thirdly, people who have businesses, maybe doctors, they have some, uh, you know, surgery, they have some, instead of just only displaying magazines, have a small bookshelf, there we have Islamic literature. The fourth thing we can do also is if we have staff, we have non-Muslim staff, maybe one day give them an hour break and tell them that I'm going to get someone to speak to you to explain what Islam is. Whoever wants to listen can listen, whoever wants to listen doesn't want to listen doesn't have to listen. But we have to do something. We have to number one, you know, inform ourselves, equip ourselves. And if someone asks you a question that you don't know the answer to, it's not the end of the world. There's many many ulama. you can simply tell them I'm going to ask someone, I'll get back to you. But at least you start, you got the ball rolling, you start the process. So number one, we, 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 we implement all of these things in our lives, and number two, and it's just as important, we speak to other Muslims and explain to other Muslims the importance of this. Because many people, for whatever reason, they don't realize the importance of this. They don't understand what a large impact it can have on our community as a whole. If we look at the ayat of Quran, multiple ayat of Quran explaining, exhorting us to do this. Multiple ahadith of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi exhorting us to do this. But besides this, wouldn't, isn't it our goal that Islam spreads to every single person? Wouldn't the world in general just be a better place if more people accepted Islam, accepted Islam values. So all of this goes a long way in consolidating our position as Muslim minorities in a non-Muslim majority country as well. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for tawfiq wa akhira dawaa. Alhamdulillah.